And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and with me tonight is Mr. Gene Hendricks. Hello, everyone. Hello, Gene. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for coming on. And uh, <laughs> Bill, Scott, and I had every intention of recording together tonight, but they fell to the wayside like flies. Mm. And, and Gene was good enough to clear his night and pick a book and join me so that we could get an episode out to you listeners. Because nothing is more important than staying on schedule. <laughs> well, in, a, in, in the OCD world that you and I live in, <laughs> schedule becomes very important. And, you know, it's funny, I, Scott and I were talking about this not that long ago. And, and I guess it's a similar mentality to the uh, collector's mentality that probably everybody listening has. Uh you know, when, when you when you feel like I can't miss an issue and you keep buying a book, even after it stops being good or, you know, it starts to be actual crap and you keep <laughs> buying it because you have this completest attitude. He said that there's a similar mentality to getting an episode out every week. He says, you know, when you have a schedule for it, you do feel some pressure to do the, to do it. And and to be frank, I do. I, I've, I've kept a really, really good schedule of getting an episode out every week for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to miss that. So I do feel pressured to, to, you know, to get together and record, you know, when I can. But he said, you know, if you, if it comes a point where you finally say, you know what, I just can't get an out an episode out this week, you do kind of realize that the world's not going to come to an end. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, ah, if I miss some more, more episodes, so what? Yeah. So, and you know, well, I mean, you've had it with the, uh, the quantum cast and everything yeah. that I, I assume you've gone through a similar, uh process yeah well the the quantum cast and anime freaks are different because that is tied to my co-host schedule as well as my schedule and talking about adam and bill they have very busy schedules so it's it's hard getting it out and then what i found when my wife was working because she worked nights uh, I had to do my own show. I had a choice because well, I couldn't do it the night she was working because I had to watch the kid. Well, then that means three out of seven nights a week, I have the opportunity to record or spend time with my family. So hmm. my own show kind of got pushed to the side because choices, choices, spend... choices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd rather spend time with my family than sit, you know, locked alone in a room and record something. So yeah, it. it I'm I, I've got the the weekly mentality because of my blog, which I even like today. And yes, I'm going to completely date when we're recording, but. 
I've been very busy this week, both at home and at work, so I couldn't write a post. I just, there was no topic that came to my mind that I could sit and write something about. But I posted something anyway, basically saying, this is an intermission. So it's still there. It's still the, uh, it's, it's Thursday. Something has to go up. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it does become just part of the routine. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Every Saturday, I post an episode of Back to the Bins. I've posted an episode of Back to the Bins every Saturday, I think, since uh, 2013. I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think that's about how long I've been keeping this on a weekly uh, release schedule. Uh, I checked the, the the spreadsheet, but I don't have it open right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and anybody who didn't pick that up from the Back to the Bins Facebook page, Gene and I are trying to work on a, uh, a project where we're listing every episode and what was covered and who was on it. Uh, Gene is kind of taking care of the clerical end of it and making the list, and I'm the one who's kind of going through it episode by episode and checking to see who was on and what they covered. Uh, and it's a slow process, but it's kind of fun. I'm actually enjoying yeah. it. Uh, and as I'm going through them, one of the things, and this is something that uh, I, I felt like uh, mentioning tonight, is one of the things I did here was early on, as they were starting to develop their routine, Scott started asking for emails. And one of the things he said was, because they were getting emails from the same people on a regular basis, so mm. if you listen in and you haven't emailed in, please do so. Because we, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to know who's listening. So I kind of feel the same way now. Uh, you know, I, no offense to Kirk and Russell, who are our two most prolific emailers at this point, uh, and, and I appreciate that. But we kind of know you, and we know, you know, what you like and what you don't like. I'd be curious to hear from somebody else who, you know, we haven't heard from. If you listen, why do you listen? What do you like? What don't you like? You know, we're, we're always looking to see if we can't be better than we are. So suggestions like that would help, and I'm calling you out to, to ask you to help us to be better. And well, I'd, I'd write you, but I'm here. <laughs> quite, <laughs> frankly, quite frankly, I started as an emailer on this show. Yeah. I, I started emailing to Mike and, and uh, Scott, and then eventually I was invited to come along. So you could have the success story that I pretend to have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting that that process. You start as a listener, and you turn to an emailer, and then you turn to a guest, and then you turn to a host. Yeah, <laughs> then I start cracking the whip as the producer <laughs> or executive producer if you're on Listen to the Profits. That's oh, that's such a that's such a plush role. <laughs> Dave, go do this, will you? It's I just I just hope we go into syndication because the money will come rolling in. <laughs> so. Any anything new in your comic reading habits lately? Uh, well, I've actually been I've been going through, and this is fairly sporadic, just because I try and work it in when I can. Uh, I've been reading, sometimes rereading, most of the times reading for the first time, All Star Squadron and Infinity Incorporated, mm -hmm. and then listening to the Tales of the JSA episodes. So that's, a, that's a, the perfect way to do it. Yeah. Except you but, will run out of episodes. You will run out of episodes before you run out of books, unfortunately. True. But it's funny because a couple weeks ago, I listened to the episode where Michael Bailey mentioned that he got this message on Facebook from some guy who was asking about uh, an episode from four years previous where they made a, a bunch of comments about how jocks can't 
uh, like superheroes and stuff like that. And it just made him laugh and all that. And I'm listening. Uh, crap, that was me. <laughs> I'm the one that wrote that in. <laughs> and then last night I'm listening and they read the first email I sent to them, which was now five years ago. I know this because Scott mentioned that he had just spent an afternoon with me in Disney's Hollywood Studios. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that, that was kind of surreal. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's just, that. <laughs> it definitely, uh, it's, it's weird when you can kind of put the podcast to a specific event like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many podcasts, so little time. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> I listen to every single one of them. Yeah, you, uh, well, you listen to every single two, two true, true freaks. freaks one. Do you listen yeah. to every single Fire and Water? No, because I I I used to, and I'm sorry, Rob, but I realize I don't like Bob Dylan that much, <laughs> so I drop that one. Uh, I listen to all the other episodes they put out and then i listen to i think about half of what neo's as puts out there are some shows in there where it's uh, i just it pops up on my feed and it's like i don't care <laughs> yeah, yeah well it, good for you you're covering the topic i don't care yeah i mean i have some of the same thing and there's a lot of stuff that i i download everything that i'm pretty much interested in Mm-hmm. But there's just not enough free time in the day to listen to everything that I'm pretty much interested in. So what happens is I do my best to keep up, and every every once in a while then I look at my iPod and see what's on there, and I just start deleting stuff that I just know I'm never getting around to. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm lucky in that I have my own office, so I can listen while I'm working. Yeah, well, I have my own office, yeah. but I also am on the road for about half the day, so oh. I don't have the entire day to sit in the office and listen, and then even when I'm on the road, I can't always listen in the car because sometimes there's other things that i got to deal with. Right. This is what happens when they pay you a salary. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like I said, I, I listen, I at least get a taste for everything, and I do like Bob Dylan, so that's cool. Uh <laughs> I, I I certainly hope you listen to my episode of the uh, what you call it. I don't even know, I can't even think of what, what the Bob Dylan podcast is called now. Pa, it's called Pod Dylan. Pod Dylan. Yeah, it was on one episode of Pod Dylan. So, uh, nope, sorry. Yeah, we covered the song uh, Forever Young. Anyway, no. <laughs> back to the bins. Yes, yes. Comic it, books. It, comic books, not Bob Dylan. Comic books. And this this. We'll just jump right into it. My book today uh, goes back to the sweet spot I keep going back to, which is 1970s Marvel. And I pulled one out that I hadn't looked at in quite some time. And uh, I don't remember a lot of the stuff in here. And I don't know how familiar you are. I took I took Ms. Marvel number six from June of 1977. And I don't know if you are more familiar with her character than I am. No, but, actually, this is the first Ms. Marvel comic I've read. There's things about her power set that I don't remember. Like the seventh sense? Yeah, this, her seventh <laughs> sense. Uh, that's definitely one of them. And the... Well, you know, we'll talk about it when we get into mm. the issue itself, I guess. Uh, the cover of this issue, which is drawn by John Buscema and apparently inked by Frank Giacoya, Marie Severin, and Danny Crespi, uh, shows grotesque 
And anybody who does not know Grotesque, he's a big ogre-like creature. Uh, and he was he first appeared in X-Men 42, I believe. And he was the one who, uh, at least in theory, had killed Professor X uh, the first time he died. Uh, and he's got Ms. Marvel above his head and he's kind of like getting ready to throw her and in the foreground there's flames and apparently they're in you know some sort of a uh, industrial complex while this is all going on uh the story is called and grotesque shall slay thee it's written by chris claremont penciled by jim mooney inked by joe sinnett colored by janice cohen lettered by gaspar saladino and john costanza so the story opens up at the offices of Woman Magazine, which is an offshoot of the Daily Bugle or a uh, magazine published by the Daily Bugle. So J. Jonah Jameson is paging through uh, a copy of the issue, and it's the issue he's looking at has uh, Ms. Marvel fighting against some sort of robot creature on the cover. And he's kind of getting ready to have a cow, and he goes in to speak to Carol Danvers, which is Ms. Marvel's secret identity, who is the uh, editor of Woman Magazine. He's complaining that she's treating Ms. Marvel like a hero instead of the nuisance that he considers her to be. He's not happy. While they're uh, arguing back and forth, she passes out. He catches her and everybody comes in and you know busts his chops a little bit. But, you know... Jonah lets just that little bit of the veneer slip where he says, you know, if, he, if she needs a doctor, bill it to me. So while she's unconscious, she has this vision, which I guess is her seventh sense, uh, of firefighters and a fist bursting up through the ground and the firefighters falling into blackness. And then she has an image of herself as Ms. Marvel getting punched by that same fist and falling into the blackness herself. She wakes up from her... Uh, fugue state and apparently recovers quite quickly nobody insists she goes to the hospital or anything it's just you know, right back to business everybody get back to work nothing to see here and then she turns into to Ms. Marvel which appears to be something where she just kind of materializes in the costume it doesn't look like she actually has to change into it and she flies off uh, towards New Jersey where there's an industrial fire going on she comes in and the firemen are really not that receptive to her because they feel like she's just trying to make a name for herself. She, uh, she goes, goes through anyway because there's some firefighters that are trapped. And guess what? That big fist is coming out. Uh, and it's Grotesque who uh, received his name in a similar fashion to the way the Hulk or the Thing received theirs, if you'll recall that lore. Uh, and he's upset because he was apparently part of this underground community that was devastated by uh, the atomic experiments by the uh, surface dwellers. So he's declared, you know, that he wants revenge on everybody. Blah 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 blah. He's got to be. They say he's got to be seven feet tall, but the way he's drawn in the full-page splash when he first comes out, you'd have to think he was at least ten feet. Mm. But. But that's, you know, whatever, the eye of the beholder. Ms. Marvel comes bursting in. The two of them get into a battle. He shows these kind of quite a bit stronger than her. Uh, 
but she, you know, she uses her uh, intelligence to kind of get him into a bad position. She boxes his ears and is able to knock him down. Uh, then she has a memory of back when she was working uh, for a space agency in security, because it's a natural progression to go from that to being the editor of a woman's magazine. Uh, and they were talking about this, uh, this, uh, this type of gem that. Uh, could destroy the world is crystal which is the one he's going after right now anyway he he recovers from his unconscious state he grabs her by the uh the scarf that she shouldn't be wearing in the first place just for reference see the incredibles hmm. uh, he spins her around throws her down and while the two of them are making their way out of this area it collapses down upon them uh the firefighters look in to see what's going on. They see a body coming out, but it's not Ms. Marvel. It's grotesque, and he declares, The woman call, you call Ms. Marvel is no more, crushed between beneath countless tons of rubble, the first victim of Subterranea's avenging prince. And as she died, so shall die your entire world. And we're to be continued. Uh... This, I mean, it was. I thought it was a kind of an enjoyable read. It's you know, seventies Marvel, which is my favorite thing, but it was not a particularly well drafted story. I didn't think it was okay. It was fine, but it just felt very. It felt kind of a little forced. Some of the story as it progresses. Uh, now, the fact that she's the editor of the the woman's magazine. I guess, you know, that's what they set up as her storyline. That doesn't have anything to do with this particular issue. Mm. Uh, but the whole thing where she passes out and then wakes up and, you know, nobody's even worried about, hey, you better get to the hospital, just seems a little off to me. Um, you know, her, her, the whole fight scene just seems a little self-contained where it probably shouldn't be. But those little nitpicks aside, I thought it was a, you know, pretty easy read and pretty enjoyable Excuse me. The artwork struck me as a little inconsistent, and while Joe Sinnott is listed as the anchor, I got the feeling that this might be more than one person inking it, because it looks different as I go along. Uh, the beginning of it looks very uh, just house style of the day. Then when we get about halfway through, by the time she re reaches the uh, the site where the fire is going on. Uh, it looks a little darker there. Then if we get a little further, the point when she's having the flashback to when she worked for the space agency, it looks almost like Herb Trimpey to me. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that this was just one person inking this, even though only one was credited. Yeah, the art, it especially it, it seems like on uh, what's, what's numbered as page 31, uh, if you look at the top two panels, Grotesque's face looks... He looks like the Frankenstein monster more than the character we've seen so far. So it, it's almost like... it, Depending on the page, it's like, okay, well, Joe got, can get this this part done. Here, uh, you, assistant, finish this this bit. Yeah, it, uh, so it may have been the majority Joe Sinnott doing it, but he may have had to farm out some to to others the coloring is also kind of all over the place it's it's a little the 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 front part and the back part seem to be colored similarly but then the fight scene it's like 
it it sudden the the colors got a lot heavier like it was it was almost painted rather than the traditional coloring that they would have so mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what's going on there yeah i see i see what you're saying and i i, I agree uh, it does look like the coloring changes as it goes through, just like it looks like the inking changes as it goes through. Yeah. So I, I wonder if this one may have been running behind deadline and they might have uh, had some extra people touching it up and doing things in it. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I, I see what you mean about it being seeming forced because it's it's almost like they have this seventh sense gimmick that they have to make work. It's like, okay, well, we have to have her flash forward. And now all those scenes have to be later in in the same book, so we're seeing the same stuff twice. And I don't I don't know if it's necessarily worth two pages in the beginning to repeat it later on. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole seventh sense thing. I have no recollection of that uh, for the character. And also the other thing that I didn't remember, but seems vaguely like yeah, I kind of think this was there in the beginning was when she first turns from carol danvers to ms marvel uh it's almost like she's a split personality yeah it's because she's fighting uh it says right in here ms marvel fighting to break free and i can't stop her Mm -hmm. so yeah but then ms marvel says aren't we the same person you know so there's something going on there i don't know how that was eventually resolved i probably was no longer reading it by then (laughs) yeah and it's and they look, they physically look different too. I mean, the hairstyle, the hair length is completely different. And I, even her build as Ms. Marvel seems to be a bit more on the superhero build than Carol Danvers when she's in her editor's office. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm not going to go all shag on you, but the, there is a <laughs> difference in the body type, it looks like. And I'm not sure. Because, like I said, this is the first Ms. Marvel comic I've read, so I don't know what happens to give her the, the Kree powers. I do know, I, I you know, she was a supporting character in the original Captain Marvel's, and by original I mean Marvel's original Captain Marvel. Marvel, uh, yeah. Captain Marvel, yeah. She was a supporting character in that series, and she was, I think, I, I'm trying to remember if she was a security chief, or she was like an assistant to the security chief, something along those lines, uh, at the space center where uh, Marvel's false secret identity kind of had worked, uh, Walter Lawson. Uh, but but it was that was a talk about forced storylines. Walter mm-hmm. Lawson was somebody who worked there, and he was killed, and then Marvel took over his identity. I mean, it was it was just weird. Uh, <laughs> and and she was a supporting character in that, and somehow uh, she was exposed to. I'm tempted to say it was like the Cyclotron or something like that, that ended up giving her this these Ms. Marvel powers. You know, the the Cree. Uh, you know, it, it changed her genetically to Cree. Right. So, you know, you could just kind of put that all behind you and just move on. This <laughs> is probably the best way to do it. Uh, and like I said, I don't really recall where they went with this book all that much. I have, I think, the first, I think I have the whole run. I think the first, I think uh, her first series was like 19 issues or something like that, and I have all of them. Uh, but I don't recall too much about what went on in them. Yeah, I'm. I might have to check it out on Marvel Unlimited if if it's there. I ha- I have no idea. 
and just see if there's anything in there because I figure with the movie coming out, they're gonna have to have some type of storylines in there. I just don't know if they'll go back to this, seeing as how it looks like it's so different than the Carol Danvers I I know. I mean, I from the guest appearances I've seen her make m- more recently, uh, and by recently I mean like '90s and 2000s. And the cartoon appearances she's had, she seems to always have been a security officer. So, yeah, like you said, this editor thing just caught me completely off guard. But I guess they needed to have JJJ in there for some reason. Yeah, they wanted, I guess, to borrow him for her supporting cast so that, you know, to, to give it an element of recognizability. That that would be my thought, that they thought, you know, that he would make it a little, just a little bit more of a smoother transition to, to read it and get to know who these characters were. But then yeah. they were adding in, you know, different, this, this Gianelli guy who, I, I don't know anything really about his background, but clearly, you know, he was going to be, I, I'm wondering if he was going to be some sort of love interest before yeah. this was done. I don't, again, I don't remember anything that went on. So, I, I mean, the easy way to find out would be to read it all, but it's so much easier to just sit here and pretend like I know. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think of the art in general, though? In general, it is solid. Uh, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's also it seems very standard. Yes, you know? I agree. It, <laughs> but I, I think it, I think the fight scenes are pretty well choreographed. Yeah, I I have no problem following the story through any of this it the art definitely works with it flows very nicely but there's no there's nothing outstanding about it one way or the other it is there isn't that one image that you look at and say do you see that one that one's beautiful there is not that but there's no there's also not that one image that you look at and say do you see that one it's horrible (laughs) yeah it's just 70s marvel it's the house style it's it's an attempt Uh, of people who were not as good as John Romita Sr. trying to look like John Romita Sr. Yeah. And I think I think that's Jim Mooney's career, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you can see some Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane in the Carol Danvers. Uh, Jonah is, you know, Jonah. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, he, he looks in uh, the one panel on page two, he, he looks less like Jonah and more like Hammerhead. Just the way, uh, the way he's drawn in mm. panel three there. It just, he looked, his flat top looks a little too flat, you know? Yeah, no, I see exactly what you're saying. I, I turned to that page. He's in five of five out of six of the panels. And I knew, <laughs> and I knew which one you were talking about. <laughs> so it's, it's good. You know, I, I pull an Andy Leo and say, it's all right, but it's, it, it's definitely house style Marvel. Like you said, uh, it nothing to distinguish it. Like I, I couldn't look at this and and say, oh yeah, that's Jim Mooney right there. It it just looks like this is what I would pick up and read. You know, when I uh, out of a vacuum issue bin and not actually notice the art. Yeah, that's that's a good point. This this is an issue from that era where I would read it, and I would I would neither say the art was. Like, the art just wouldn't stand out to me. I'd read it, and I'd finish the story, and I'd be done. And I wouldn't be thinking, oh, the art was really good, and I wouldn't be thinking it was really bad either. I really wouldn't give it all that much thought. I would just move on, 
you know, wait to see what the next issue is and sit, find out how she survived this thing crashing down on her. And it's going to be interesting. Uh, like if I if I look up the next issue, I'm going to want to see how the grotesque thing merges with the next issue blurb in the comic, which is the return of Modok. Okay, how do how do we go from A to B? Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> grotesque is nowhere in that yellow block of text. It's just the return of Modok and AIM and all this. And, okay, well, this, this guy's destroying the world with this crystal. What What's going on? I mean, is it is it like the Venom appearance in Quasar where he's in two panels and the hero takes care of him and then on to the next thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. There could be any any number of ways that that could be dealt with. It could be, mm-hmm. you could open up the next issue with something else and have a flashback to how he was defeated. You could have him defeated in the first couple of pages and move on to something else. You could have him not defeated and Modok is somehow manipulating him. I mean, there's all sorts of yeah. things you could do. Or you, you want to read it, though. Or you could say, <laughs> we'll get back to this one in two or three issues, but for now, yeah. let's look at Modok. <laughs> so... Uh, you got anything else on this? No, no, I think we covered most of it. All right, so I like the cover, and I'm going to say of of all the, you know, the people who had their hands on the cover, because there were quite a few, uh, I'm thinking Maurice Severin had a lot to do with the way grotesque is drawn on the cover, and I've always liked Maurice Severin's work. I think he looks much better on the cover than he does in the interior of the book. But that's also, you know, John Buscema is better than Jim Mooney. So uh, on on an inking level, there aren't too many people who I think are better than Joe Sinnott. But I'm thinking, as we said earlier, that he had a lot of other hands involved in this. But just back to the cover, I kind of really like this image. Uh, it's It's not an A cover in my mind, but it's better than average, and I'm going to say it's a B. Uh, I think it's it's really solid, and I like it. It's just not iconic. Uh, the interior art, I think if it were consistent at any level of what we see in this book, I'd be okay. But it just seems to fluctuate so much. It's not fluctuating so much in quality as it is in just general appearance. Uh, and it, it's it's a little bothersome as, as, as I work my way through it. So... It's going to lose points just for inconsistency. Again, not for necessarily being bad, but just being different as I move along. Uh, so I'm going to give it a C plus on the interior art. I don't think it's a bad book, but I think it could be a lot better. I think if, again, if the inking and the coloring had been more consistent, I think this would be a big book. Uh, story-wise, uh, it feels a little too forced to me. I'm going to give the story a C just as a general you know, just an average 70s Marvel book, nothing special. Not terrible, but nothing really great either. And overall, I'll give it a B- minus for the overall grade. All right. Yeah, the uh, the cover is is very good. It pulls you in. I'm a, I'm a little leery of all of the text on it, but that was kind of the era, so it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's just my perception but it almost looks like grotesque and ms marvel were drawn separately and just kind of put together it 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 doesn't look like his hands are actually holding her uh Hmm. but that that could just be the way i'm looking at though uh just the way his his thumbs are it's like 
from where they're positioned, they'd be digging into her flesh, but they're not. It's like she was placed on top of like a, like it's color forms. It's like, okay, I'll mm-hmm. put him there and her there. And they're not actually touching. Uh, but it, like you said, he looks a lot better here than he does in the book. The crumbling, uh, I'm guessing is supposed to be the, the sub basement they're in around them is, is good. I've never seen a New Jersey oil refinery that looks like that in the background, but this is Marvel. You never know. So I'm, I'm going to give the cover. I'm going to give it a B. Uh, it it does its job, gets your attention. It's just not spectacular. Yeah, the interior art, like we said, it is there. So you know, it doesn't move me one way or the other. And yeah, it's inconsistent in inking and coloring in places. So I'm just going to give that a straight C. It is right down the middle of the road, and the the story. Maybe if I knew more about, you know, what happened in the first five issues, it would make more sense. But just the way it is and wasting two pages on the flash forward to something we're going to see later and then just running into, oh, well, you know, I thought I pressed the lobby button, but uh, uh, Ms. Marvel inside me made me press the roof button and, oh, she's coming out. It's it's kind of out there. <laughs> yeah, it's just we need to get Ms. Marvel in the book. She forces her way into the book, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the story a C plus because it's it's a little bit better than average, just a little too wonky in places. So I would say that averages out to a B minus. All right, so we're we're pretty close to the same place on this one. Yeah, and we'll see, now we got to see if yours is better, worse, or the same. Okay, what do well, you got for us today, Gene? Uh. Moving on to the Distinguished Competition, we're going with Nightwing, issue number 25. Now, the uh, cover date on this is October 1998. The on-sale date, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was August 12th, 1998. Your writer is Chuck Dixon. Your penciler, Scott McDaniel. Inks by Carl Story. The letters by John Costanza. Hey, we got a crossover here. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Colors by Roberta Tuz. Separator is Jameson. The associator is Darren Vincenzo. And the editor is Scott Peterson. On the cover, we have Nightwing and Robin running through what looks like a city after a huge disaster. Or, dare I say, Cataclysm? Because this, this, this occurs between Cataclysm and No Man's Land. We open up to a black page with some dialogue where one person doubts what they are doing while the other reassures them and then says, Jump! On the next page, we see a blindfolded Nightwing and Robin jumping onto a moving train, and we get our title, The Boys. Nightwing lands easily, but Robin tumbles and almost falls off the train, saving himself only with a batarang. Nightwing reveals that Batman did this exact training with him, but when he was younger than Robin is now. Nightwing uses this training exercise to help Robin with his balance and his sense of his surroundings. During this, they go over some personal stuff, including Nightwing nearly falling when Robin declares that his girlfriend is pregnant by some other guy. (laughs) Nightwing gives Robin the advice of avoiding complicated relationships, which Robin throws right back at him by listing all of Nightwing's complex girlfriends. After a quick explanation of each, 
and revealing to Robin that he slept with a huntress, some delinquents throw a section of bricks on the train. This causes Robin to panic and Nightwing to nearly fall off the train. Robin wants to take off the blindfold, but Nightwing won't let him change the rules of the game just because it got rough. This causes the talk to turn to Jason Todd, where Robin reveals that he's afraid of being too cautious, the complete opposite of Jason, especially since Batman and Nightwing are fearless. This gives Nightwing a chuckle, and he reveals that he does, in fact, get scared. While talk of Batman's potential fears continues, a gang lowers themselves onto the train to rob one of the cars. It just happens to be the car that Nightwing and Robin are standing on, and the duo knock all three of the robbers into the swamp the train is moving through. After this brief interlude, Nightwing tells Robin that he took the exam to become a Bloodhaven police officer in an attempt to change the system from the inside. This is interrupted by a sharp curve on the track that Robin doesn't notice in time, causing him to lose his footing and nearly fall fly off the train. Nightwing catches his wrist, though, saving him. Nightwing then reveals that Batman had to save him the exact same way, except by grabbing his ankle, not his wrist. Once Robin has caught his breath, Nightwing instructs him to jump to the northbound train that is passing by to go home. Robin takes another tumble, but stays on the train this time. As the train pulls away with the pair doing handstands, Robin asks Nightwing about him and Oracle threatening to tell Batman about the Huntress if Nightwing isn't straight with him. The end. So this, like the uh, the Nightwing issue that I brought previously on the show, is one that I have read multiple times. This, is, this was coming out while I was in college, and I would make frequent trips to my uh, local comic book shop, which was Phantom of the Attic in Pittsburgh, and so I have a very solid collection of this series. And this happens to be one of my favorites just because it is a downtime issue. We just went through Cataclysm, where Gotham got hit by the earthquake. Haven't made it to No Man's Land yet. But we have this little bit of time where Nightwing and Robin are hanging out. I mean, really, if you think about it, all of the conversation they're having here can be in someone's apartment. They could just Mm -hmm. be sitting and talking, but they happen to be riding a train blindfolded because Chuck Dixon. (laughs) (laughs) And you get a a lot of insight to everybody, you know, what what they're thinking, what their fears are, where they want to go. And it's, it's recapping some stuff, but also setting up, like, Nightwing, uh, Dick Grayson actually does become a police officer. He goes through the police academy where he has to sneak out at night to play superhero and then sneak back in for roll call the next morning, which is an interesting way of doing it. But this is, this is just one that I, I always have a blast reading. And I think it's because Dixon knows these characters so well that it just pours right out of the, the comic that you know this this is who these people are they're not they're not caricatures they are real people with real emotions and fears and goals and and i'm rambling now so what do you think paul <laughs> uh 
I, th- I thought it was well, as as is the bane of my existence with all 1990s books. I thought it was a little bit too quick of a read. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I kind of liked the whole premise of it. I liked the whole, you know, that that they're not going to train in traditional ways that make sense to a normal person because they're not doing what normal people do. Uh, so so I kind of like that. It did seem, you know, a little crazy that you'd go out jumping trains and stuff with a blindfold on, but then a lot of what they do seems crazy. And mm. I liked what you said about how, the, you know, how they're having a conversation that you'd have in the most casual of settings while they do this. Uh, so so I thought that was cool. You know, you, you, you can have some, like, it's almost like faux action. It's not really action because they're not, moving the story along with the action, but they're doing all sorts of different things while we're having character moments. And I thought that was kind of cool the way Dixon was able to combine that. And he even managed to throw in some bad guys and have them get their comeuppance while these guys still have their blindfolds on. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I thought that was all pretty clever. Uh, I enjoyed reading it. It was just, like I said, my biggest criticism, which is, my criticism of a lot of books is that it just, you know, went by too quickly. Uh, you know, I would say it took me under 10 minutes to read this book. And that was with, you know, reading it with an eye towards discussing it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that. Uh, these, these issues do tend to go quick. And a lot of it usually is because they're uh, just full of action. Nightwing taking down... Uh, the various criminals going uh, in Bloodhaven, going against Blockbuster and everything. Uh, this what I, what I really like about this though is, and like I said last time, I am I am more from like the late seventies, early eighties kind of art style. Uh, my first comic book was Sal Buscema. I love John Byrne, George Perez. Uh, all, everybody that, you know, Gil Kane, everyone that looks like they're anatomically correct, perfectly uh, proportioned and all this, Scott McDaniel's art should not appeal to me. But for Nightwing, for some reason, it just works. Especially the multiple Nightwings and Robins as you see them tumbling and doing their acrobatics. It just it just seems to, to work really well, and I like how the story you get so much character from the art, and they can't see it because you know they're both blindfolded. But you can you can see the reactions, uh, the smiles that they they get, or the shocked looks. But it's there's so much storytelling in in the art, especially since like. The robbers don't get any dialogue except the one guy saying "Hey" when his buddy is knocked into him. Everything else is Nightwing and Robin. That's the only dialogue in the whole book. But all the background stuff, you know exactly what's going on at any particular time. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I I enjoyed going because I I wrote my synopsis at lunchtime today. Because I happen to have an electronic copy on a uh, a uh, a stick that I could just plug into my computer and flip through it, as but I hardly even needed to refer to it. I've read this so many times. 
but it's nice. I would I could just go. I know exactly what was going on. Just looking at the pictures, and I'm you know typing it up as I'm going. Because yes, I'm anal that way. I have to have a typewritten synopsis. Well, see, I, I almost <laughs> have to have a handwritten synopsis. Yeah. I don't I don't like having them typewritten. But uh, <laughs> I. I see what you're talking about with the artwork it's definitely not my preferred style it's uh there's there's a lot of stark backgrounds or uh when they're not stark backgrounds a lot of them are just not not particularly detailed there's certain things where there are detail where they're showing the train yards or the train itself but a lot of it is a lot of it is kind of empty uh it almost has that 90s manga style that Mm -hmm. i am not a fan of at all uh, that said, I, I think you, you did hit on one thing that I agree with. The, when they show the multiple images to show, you know, the exact uh, course of the movement, I really like that. I think that's an effective tool. Uh, some of the facial close-ups, I'm not happy with at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as storytelling goes, I think it's solid. I think it, you know, it's very easy to follow. And like you say, they're not really giving you a lot of dialogue uh, to exposit you through the action so you have to kind of put it together based on what you're seeing uh and i think it's fairly easy to follow that way so so i gotta give you know props to the art for that uh again it's a simple story but i like i i like it's it's like a dialogue between two brothers who like each other right that's that's what it felt like reading it and i think that's what it should feel like yeah because you you've got nightwing who is the the older brother that Robin, the younger brother, idolizes. He's like, okay, yeah, you, this this is my hero right here. This is the guy that did what I was doing, and he almost has this thing of hero worship with him that Nightwing is playing with, which is fun because you know the older brother will do that. Mm-hmm. But it's never it's never like an antagonistic older Mm-mm. brother. It's you know he's taking him along because he wants him he wants to help him to grow. Uh, you know, that said, he's also putting him in a position of, you know, mortal peril. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> he can only take the, the, uh, helping part so far. Uh, but this is the way he learned and, you know, he figures that's the way to teach. So, you know, we, we are destined to become our parents and, you know, Bruce Wayne is essentially his parent. So, you know, it's, 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 it was a fun read though. I, you know, like I said, a little too fast for me, but it was fun. Yeah. I, it, I it... definitely enjoyed it. When you're, when you're between two big bat storylines like that, you kind of need a breather, which I don't see. I don't read modern comics, so I can't tell if they actually do it still or not. But I've heard complaints that they don't do issues like this enough. That's just, you know, set piece, set piece, set piece. And there's no time to catch your breath in between. But like I said, that's hearsay. Yeah, it's same for me, because I also do not really read modern comics. Which is I, okay by me, because whenever I try and bring myself back to modern comics, it always drives me back to old ones. <laughs> I, I have so many old comics I haven't read yet, I'd much rather go that way than try and deal with anything modern. Yeah, that's another point where uh, I, don't, I, don't, I never have to purchase another book to be able to just keep reading books for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no reason I need to buy new ones. Like, you know, my, well, the only time I delve into new ones is if for some reason my curiosity is piqued, which is usually because somebody might say, have you seen such and such? It's really, you know, it's really good. And mm-hmm. then I then I take a look at 
whatever it is is being recommended to me if I get the chance to, which isn't always the case. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I agree, and sometimes I think, yeah, it's all right, but I'd rather read old stuff. Yeah, that's that's usually how I, I go as well. It's just, uh, I know I'm going to like this at least just because of the era it's in or the character it's dealing with. So I have that as opposed to something where the odds are I'm probably not going to like it for some reason. So <laughs> I'll shift to the old. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're once again we're in the same boat. Mm. Hey, you want to uh, you want to rank it? All right. Uh, the cover is pretty much not representative of the story at all, <laughs> and it's it, it's kind of on the simple side. I mean. Like I said, it's uh, Scott McDaniel and Carl Story doing it, so it, it looks really good, but it's it's not great. It's not one of those iconic covers. You just know, oh, Robin's in this one. Great. It could probably do with a little bit of text on it, but they weren't doing that then. So I'm going to give this a, uh, a C plus, just because it's it's feeding into the whole cataclysm thing without actually being connected to it. So it, it's not super. Uh, the art inside, I already said I like this style of art with Nightwing, but it's because this is the style of art I've been reading with Nightwing the whole time. I also am an anime and manga fan, so I have a higher tolerance for it <laughs> than, than some other people. But, yeah, I, I see what you mean about some of the facial expressions, uh, like the... Um, the one page where Robin says that uh, Batman and Nightwing are fearless, his facial expression isn't all that terrific. <laughs> so yeah, he's, uh, there are there are places where there probably could be some improvement. So I'm, I'm going to give the interior art, I'll give it a B. I've seen them do better, but it does tell the story very well. And, you know, like I said, the, the multiple images, so you, in the one panel, you have, like, six Robins and five Nightwings, just so you can follow the path of how they were traveling. Uh, the story, however, like you said, is a quick read, but you get a lot of insight in their relationship, their relationship with Batman, where they've come from, where they're planning on going... Uh, interactions with the uh, the fairer sex, of which Dick has a whole lot more experience <laughs> than than Tim does at this point, as as you can tell by the list of girlfriends <laughs> that gets rattled off. Uh, and it's Chuck Dixon writing a bat book. So uh, as far as story goes, I'm going to give it an A. So that I would say that averages out to a B for the whole thing. All right. Uh, cover-wise, I want to give credit for being different, because mm. it is. It's definitely a different look, uh, but it doesn't really give me any reason why, if I was on the newsstand or the comic book store or wherever you might see this, where I'd say, you know what, I want to read this, let me buy it. Uh, now, other than the fact of saying Nightwing and Robin are both in this, that's really the only thing you're given to, to run with on it. So if, if your goal is to sell copies 
I'm going to have to say this didn't, I don't think this does the trick and I'm just going to give it a, I'm going to give it a C minus because of that. Uh, it's not that I think it's badly rendered. I just don't think it's a good design. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interior art, I kind of have a mixed feeling on it because if I'm pulling myself out of the equation, I think I'm giving it a B minus. But when you put me into the equation and factor in the fact that I just don't really care for this style, I'm gonna I would lower it down to just a C. Um, depends on your taste as far as that goes. I think if if you don't mind the manga influence then I think you'll like it a lot more than I do. And then it's probably a B- minus for you. Uh, but if you're like me and you don't like the manga stuff, it's not that it's going to make you say, oh my God, it's horrible, I can't deal with it. But it's just not going to be as appealing to you, much like it's not as appealing to me. Uh, story-wise, I again, it was very quick, but I really liked what I got. I, I liked the character study that they gave us. I liked that you feel like... You know, like you're eavesdropping on a real conversation is the way it feels. It's, uh, I think it's just well played as far as that goes, and and I really liked it. So I'm going to give it an A minus on the story, uh, and overall I'll give the book a, a B minus. All right. Again, we came to approximately the same area just by different routes. I find that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for our two books this week. Gene, thanks for uh, dropping everything and making yourself available to me. I appreciate it. Well, it, it's always a pleasure to come on, uh, and it just so happened that I I carry that at, uh, memory stick of comic books with me, so I have access to it should the need arise. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it, that you were available to do this because uh, I am, uh, you know, I do feel the need to get these episodes up, and uh if I didn't have you on here today, we'd be running a little short. So, well, you 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 you, sa- you saved my uh, my my schedule. Well, but. that's that's the best compliment I can get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best compliment I can give you right now is, Gene, you're my friend, and it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Yes, I'm I'm happy to always talk to you, Paul, and we have to do it again soon. <laughs> and everybody else, listen in again next week, and you know, I don't think you're going to hear me and Gene, but you'll hear a show. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, I like the cuddle. Oh, great. There's another clip for you.